Ron and Anian. Don't be afraid to come on live radio. It's, it's, you know, we still hear that quite often. We kind of make it easy. We're not here to beat you up. We're here to just, you know, help educate you and everybody else. And, uh, and we learn, too. The Car Doctor. Now, one of the nice things about Volkswagen... Let me check. Nope, it hasn't frozen over yet. I'm saying something nice about Volkswagen. I suppose we should have known better than to trust you, Volkswagen. After all, you invented the VW Bug, the car whose very appearance makes people punch their friends. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ronnie Anning and the Car Doctor. Thanks for stopping by. Phone number here is 855-560-9900. As always, you can find us out online cardoctorshow.com. You'll find links there to tunein.com, iheart.com, itunes.com, and if you need me during the week, ron at cardoctorshow.com. What do you do when you have to fix the unfixable? It, it, it happens a lot, and you know, it seems like lately the the cars, that generation of cars that we're seeing is kind of encroaching the, well, maybe it's time to get rid of it, and maybe we shouldn't really work on it, and, well, maybe maybe we should, but we've got to be careful about how we go about it. 1998 Ford Expedition, wheezing its last, as I like to think, made its way to the doorstep of REO Automotive this week. A once-every-five-year customer, because I'm the only guy that he trusts. I'm not sure who's working on it the rest of the time, but... It just seems to work out like that. And I understand it. You know what? It's people sometimes don't see that you do everything else. They just think you're going to sit there and do the hardcore diagnostics. And uh, truth be told, uh, you know, yeah, I guess that's the way it kind of works out. Sometimes you're not thrilled with it, and sometimes it's easier, and it's definitely easier. I shouldn't say sometimes when you know the vehicle that uh, you, you see it on a regular basis. It's easier to keep that customer and the car on track. This 98 Expedition had a misfire, had a misfire on Cylinder 4, and the problem was that the quote-unquote regular mechanic that had been doing all the other stuff, um, all the other stuff, decided he couldn't work on it, didn't want to work on it, maybe was confused by it, I'm not sure, but somehow it ended up on my doorstep. It was simple enough to me, it had a P0304, P0304, if you've been a listener to this radio show for longer than six months, by now you know a 300 series fault code with a, a number at the end is a, is, is a miss on that particular cylinder. It was a misfire on cylinder four, and got to go about diagnose it. Bought a really neat tool about a year ago, in addition to the scope, it's a, it's a, it's a paddle. It, it kind of looks like a... Um, uh, a long ping-pong paddle, but it's got a very small pad. It reminded me of something uh, when I was in the hospital not too long ago. I remember when I hit my head, you know, they tape to your heart. It's like a heart monitor. It just feels the, the pulse. It, it kind of reminded me of that. And you lay this on top of the ignition coils, and you can actually take a reading off the coil, looking at the firing voltage, and it'll put a pattern up on the scope. And it's it's sort of a nice, quick way to, to do things and at least give you a direction where do you want to go. We had a misfire on cylinder four. Scoped the coils, at least the right bank. I can't say I scoped every coil on the left bank because it was so difficult to get to. But 
I saw a regular pattern on the first three. Number four coil was dead. Nothing was happening. It looked plugged in. Everything seemed like it should be there. Car had, truck had 248,000-plus miles on it. Had power on the feed side. Okay, you know what? Let's get the coil out. Let's see where we're going. The result of trying to pull that coil out is on the Facebook page. That 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 picture you see is my left hand that was scraped and cut up because over the course of the last 20 years or 18 years of this truck being on the road, things have been moved around and pushed around. The battery didn't have a cap on it. The main junction block was missing and wires were hanging and dangling and the cables going out to feed everything inside the vehicle were not in the proper position. So it was a little tough to do. Got the coil out, scraped all the mud off that was on it, took a uh, 18-inch blowgun, bent the tip at a right angle, put it down in the spark plug well because I could see with a mirror that the well was filled with mud and crud, blew all the mud out, and after about 20 minutes of figuring out the right, let's see, I need this depth socket, this depth extension, this size ratchet, I was able to get a socket on there and proceeded to try and pull the plug. The plug, the removal of the plug, was easy. The plug was loose. It was rattling around in the threads. Why it didn't blow out, well, I guess it's to this guy's advantage because had it, it might have ruined the cylinder head and been an even bigger problem. Fresh plug, fresh coil, put it together. And while I had the connector off, I could actually go at it and look for a signal there on the primary side. No signal. I had power. Where's the ground? Traced back the wiring harness on the feed side. And you've got to love these things that people, you know, the posers, as I like to say, that think they're fixing cars. Somebody used a butt connector, a butt connector similar to what you might use putting together speaker wire when you were installing a radio back in the 70s. Exposure to the elements, wide open, barely hanging onto the wires. They had, they had used a butt connect, and that butt connect was broken. The wire had dislodged itself from the coil some time ago. Now, I didn't feel bad about changing the coil because the coil was covered in mud and it had three cracks down on the bottom of the case. And it told me the coil was, if it wasn't bad, bad, it was on its way because it was original at 248,000 miles. And the plug had been changed somewhere in the life of this car, but you could see that it had started to rust in the head and disintegrate. Now the problem was, how do you fix, and when I tell you it was tight, somebody needs to yell, how tight was it? It was so tight, here it comes. How tight was it? It was so tight that... If it was a room you were standing in, you'd have to go outside to change your mind because it was just, yeah, no, don't quit my day job. It was a very small, confined area. But the problem was, how do you reach the, the wiring harness comes off the back of the cylinder head? How do you find that ground lead back there where they were trying to splice in? The answer, you don't. You find it up front. Broke out a wiring diagram, went to pin 53 of the PCM, which was the pink light green, and traced it forward, pink light blue. The other one was red green. The power was red green. The, the, the feed side, the control side was pink and light green, pink and blue. And brought it forward, found that grout point in connector 114 in the passenger side rear corner of the engine compartment, broke the, broke the wire there, snipped it, spliced in a new connector with a new feed, soldered it in, 
which is the way it should be done, heat shrunk it, wrapped it in silicone tape for weatherproof, tucked it back in the harness, connected it, and lo and behold, the truck ran on all eight cylinders. And wouldn't you know it, the customer shows to pick it up, and when I explained everything to him, he looks at me and, is it really fixed? I don't know. Let's go outside and see. We went outside, started up. He says, gee, it sounds good. And I said, here's the ultimate test. Put my hand over the tailpipe. It wasn't blah, 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 blah. Anymore, the miss wasn't there. And he said, hmm, I guess you can fix cars. How about that? How about that? Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor. The things I have to put up with on a weekly basis, it's just beyond my comprehension why I, why I do it sometimes. Here to take your calls and answer your questions at 855-560-9900. The point of that was that it's not emotional. We were talking about emotion and, and, and gut checks the last hour in terms of diagnostic routine. It has to be about step-by-step diagnosis. And Steve had written in from Cincinnati, and we were talking about that last hour, my diagnostic routine. It varies by car. You can't follow it each and every time. Did I check fuel pressure on that expedition? No. I didn't think it was a fuel pressure problem. I did scan it for codes. I did look at fuel trim. I saw fuel trim erratic on the right bank telling me that oxygen was in excess and that, yeah, okay, the miss was there, whether it was mechanical fuel or ignition. I did listen with a stethoscope. I could hear the injector that sounded the same on number four, the same as it did on one, two, and three on that side. So diagnostic routine, it's not exactly the same every time, but it does have some consistencies to it. I guess I'm going to have to leave it there and lay it like that. But anyway, uh, we are here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. Let's uh, pull over, take the pause. When the car doctor returns, we'll open the garage doors up. Stay tuned. back. Ron and Andy and the car doctor. Let's uh, kick open the garage doors this hour. Harry, who do you have for me today, this hour? By the way, you're looking, um, looking a little dapper. I uh, I understand your lady's coming up to visit in two weeks. Uh, no? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, yep, what is it? Yep. What, what's, the, what's the shake of the head no? And... Whoa, 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 whoa. It's yes or no, Harry. It's yes Come or on, no, Harry. Harry. Well, um, it was a surprise. But... It was a surprise. Why? Who, who are we trying to surprise? Then, then never you mind. So, yeah. I can't imagine. Another girlfriend. That's what he's trying to surprise. Yeah, there nice. You go. Uh, yeah, how many girlfriends do you have this week? Huh? How many girlfriends do you have this week? I only have one, the love of my life. No, yeah, that's, you know, Uncle Steve used to say that. Yeah. Did, you ever, did you ever learn how Uncle Steve's let playing? Me, let me tell you about, let me tell you Keep about. Keep in mind, the, this is a car show we're on national radio. Life. Go ahead. Right, let me tell you. It's like I've had Volkswagens all these years. I was praying for a Ford, and God gave me a Lamborghini. That's all you have to say. Now, let's get on to business here, shall we? Oh uh, yes, Tom, let's. Is that yes? Sure. When did I lose control of the show today? Go ahead, Harry. What do you got? <laughs> All right, Tom is calling from Mount Salon, Virginia. Uh, he's got a Jetta, a Frontier, and a Miata, and the little Mises to pieces. Remember, Mister Jinx, the cat, he yeah. sells Mises to pieces. They're tearing up all the wires under the hood, mm. the insulation, everything else. I think that's a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, let's see what's going on here. Tom, welcome to the Car Doctor. And as the stomach turns, the new soap opera here for the airwaves. Uh, how can I help you, sir? Well, uh, I think you've got the clue. It's it's mice under the hood. 
I live in a rural area. I think the extended warm fall and so forth uh, kept those mice moving. Uh, another fact, we park outside on gravel. But uh, all three vehicles have evidence of mice underneath. Uh, they've gotten in the insulation. They have not torn up any wires yet. That's okay. the good thing. Couple of um, things. Couple of things so, you can try. Um, do you do you, do you have any mm, any other critters around? I'm sure you do if you're in a rural area. Uh, well, there's a lot of cows, and I have a dog. I don't have a cat. Maybe I should get one. Maybe you should get <laughs> one. Although I don't know, my two cats. I have two cats. I still have to have an exterminator come to to set the mouse traps and get rid of the mices. So yeah, um, and they're bad in our house this year. This has been a, the, probably the worst year we've ever had. Right. Right. Um, I stuffed a mothball or two up in the car insulation where they got in the worst. Uh, but I don't. Is there anything else to do other than being vigilant and checking under the hood every day or so? Uh, well, get them out of there. what I'll do, you know, the mothballs is a great idea. What I'll do is I'll throw a couple. Did you do a couple in a plastic bag and take an ice pick or a sharp punch and just punch holes in the bag and then throw that under the hood? Yeah, okay. that could work. Uh, that'd work. That'd do it. You know, the, the smell might be a little obnoxious in the car, um, so that's that's an issue. But one of the things you can try, Honda actually came out with it, and it's quite expensive, Part number 4019-2317, I believe, is the part number. You can just Google search Honda Mouse or Honda Rodent Tape, and it'll come up. It's somewhere between $30 and $40 a roll. And what you can do is, you know, well, if you're making a wiring harness repair, you can use that as the repair tape. But what I like to do in certain situations is take that tape and wrap under the hood. Don't go... Don't go a one-for-one wrap. Do a loose wrap so you spread that out over the entire wiring harness in the areas where you think they're going to be prone to chew. And it is a it is a rodent-repellent tape. It's got a, a causticness to it that will okay. actually, if they bite into it, they're going to be like, Ugh. you know, it'd be like biting in and heating, um, let's see, uh, cauliflower. Because uh, I personally, <laughs> I'm not a cauliflower kind of guy. Um, no, not cauliflower. Um, Brussels sprouts, that's the thing. Brussels sprouts, yeah. Tom Tom likes Brussels sprouts, but not me. Um, but uh, it will it will cause them to be like pewy. So uh, Honda rodent tape, you can probably find it out on Amazon, but you can definitely find it at your local Honda dealer, and that can help remove them as well. Okay. All right, sir. That's a, that's a big help. I'm gonna keep my eye on it, and and if it keeps up, I'm gonna get the tape. Yeah, get the tape because I'll tell you what, you'd be amazed at the damage animals can cause and it, it does not take long for them to really get in and then they can get in their seeds and twigs and stuff underneath uh you right. know some of the plastic covers right. and all you know, sort of problems one of the things my exterminator tells me and we're in a rural area but not too rural but um you know one of the things he tells me is sometimes setting traps around the house even on the outside we have we have rodent boxes outside will you know, put tip the scales in your favor, so to speak, so yeah. that it, it's just enough that you catch enough of them, get rid of enough of them, the rest um, have enough of a food supply elsewhere that they don't have to start looking under the hood because they love the they love the the the, the material that the wiring harnesses is, is is made from. They they enjoy that taste, and that's the idea behind the rodent tape that it takes that taste away from them. Um, so you know, just something to think about. All right, sir. 
All right, Ron. Thank you very much. You're Appreciate very welcome. It. You're very welcome, and happy New Year. Let's go over and talk to Bob Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Robert, I bet we yes. got a. I bet you got a Volkswagen question. Yes, I do. How did uh, I know that? The uh, uh, 1965 Volkswagen uh, Beetle uh, was. Uh, I flat towed it with the uh, 1993 Volkswagen Rabbit convertible last week for about 40 miles. Well, that had to be a sight. Oh, you should have seen it. it was it was awesome. I kept on having this little blue beetle follow me. But mm. anyway, I uh, took it to my uh, friend's uh, uh, repair shop because uh, uh, to do wheel cylinders and everything, and uh, I help them out with uh, uh, computer work, so I end up getting uh, free lift time. And I'm going to pull the motor out and uh, replace the oil cooler seals, uh, crankshaft seal, make sure the clutch is okay. But what should I be using for engine oil? Well, if memory serves me correct, back in the day it was a 1040 way back when, back, yeah. back in 65. And I don't know if you're going to find a 1040 anymore. And I would be talking to some of the vintage oil suppliers in terms of additives and formulations so that you have correct formulation for that engine. That's a flat tappet motor. If, if uh, 1965, that was a solid lifter cam. Right. Um, I remember spending high school adjusting valves on a friend's Volkswagen forever. It was like I was underneath it in the parking lot all day long. Yeah. And um, you know, you want to be, you want to just be mindful of that. You know, I've uh, never, I've never really thought about the need for a zinc additive in an old Volkswagen engine, but I guess the argument is there. Yeah. That if, if you know, if it's a flat tappet motor, um, it has to have zinc just like everything else. So I would think you're going to have to look for something in the correct viscosity with a zinc additive that's formulated for that. I would think uh-huh. it's probably not too hard to find, Bob. There's a there's a big market, you know. There's a big following for old older Volkswagens, older Beetles like that. I would I would think some trips around the internet will turn it up for you. Yeah, and uh, um, you know, kind of take it from there. You're going to well, do- the other the other question I have, and uh, somebody had given me, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> And it's a set of tires, uh, the correct size, 560 by 15s. Right. And they were taken off uh, uh, back in 63 or 64. They were taken off a brand-new car, and these tires had never been on the road. Uh, I guess they'd be all right maybe to use for a spare tire. Yeah, I couldn't see it as a, you know, as a long-term solution, Bob, because of the age. I'll tell you what, Robert, pull over and let's take a pause. Sit with me through the pause. We can kind of ponder this when we come back. I don't want to rush this question. Um, I don't want to get you off here real quick. I'm Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor. Robert and I will both be back right after this. Thank you. is the phone number, 24-7. Call, leave a message. Fast Harry will call you back if we're not on the air and get you in queue for the following live broadcast Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Let's get back to Bob Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Robert, you're still there, sir. Yes, I am. Uh, You know, the concern I've got is, just like you said, the age of the tires. The tires are from 63, 64. Uh, You know, I wouldn't trust them to be on the road as a spare, as a display piece. Sure, why not? Yeah. But beyond that, um, other than that, I think they're just a uh, kind of a throwback. It's funny when you look at them how skinny the tires were, and uh, you know it's it's a 
a, a testimony to what cars have become and the designs from which they sprang. I did. I did find online uh, Coker K O K E R tire. C O K E R Coker tire. Yeah. 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 They're not cheap. Nope. Nope. And do you know why? Because they don't why? have. They don't have to be. They've got them. Yeah. You know, it's the golden rule. With the one with the gold makes the rules. And, yeah. And uh, you know, they do have. They do have the tires. Coker has been around forever in the vintage car industry and. Uh, they do got just about everything that I've ever seen people go looking for, but uh, not bashful at all. Are they quality tires? Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people that use them, and they're happy with them. Uh-huh. It's just, uh, you know, they've either purchased the molds or they've purchased the ability to reproduce. I would just question, as I tell everyone, when you're looking at a vintage tire, where is that tire made? Is it is it U.S. manufactured? Is it offshore? And, uh, you know, if it was offshore... I've got issues with that, as we do on anything made offshore, where where, and what and who. But in yeah. some cases, we have no choice. Mm-hmm. Another question I have, real quick, uh, gasoline. You know, way back when in 65, you know, we had uh, leaded gas, and I believe the octane rating was, what, 89? Well, it was higher than what it was, but the octane rating was done differently than the way that it's done today. For me, for my money, Bob... Yeah. I would I would I would think that car is going to be very fussy and particular on fuel and I think it's going to be a little bit of a of a science project finding a brand that runs well and a blend or octane level that runs yeah. well and I wouldn't be afraid to start with a premium fuel and work my way down not while you can still get it and and I would also consider using a fuel system cleaner on a regular basis uh, you know something, something like a CRC one tank power renew or a Tecron fuel product, uh-huh. something that will keep the tank clean, uh, yeah. just because of carbon issues. Uh huh. I I can't wait to the first time when I pull up to a gas station and see how long it takes them to find the gas cap. Well, gas cap. I can tell you how much it takes to fill the gas tank on a Volkswagen Beetle. If a Volkswagen Beetle is below an eighth of a tank, and gas is twenty nine cents a gallon. Yeah, it'll take three dollars and twelve cents, and yeah. that's and that's filled right. No, and I'm not kidding. That's filled right to the top. I know because I used to pump gas back then, and that that was the most I ever put in a Beetle. I remember that to this day. Three dollars and twelve cents is what it would take to fill yeah. up the car, and then I would see the guy in another week. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this car because it will be a daily driver. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it, Robert. Yeah. Let me get on to my next call. Okay. And uh, always always a pleasure to hear from you, and you have yourself a good rest of the weekend. And uh, a good week next week, and we look forward to uh, continued conversations. Okay. Bob from Phillipsburg, New Jersey, always a always a great time, and uh, Bob's a long-time listener. Let's go on and talk to Ralph, Detroit, Maine. Is that right, Detroit, Maine, Ralph? Yes. Ralph, Detroit, Maine. There you go. I've, I've never heard of Detroit, Maine. What part of the state is that? It's between Waterville and Bangor. Okay. Okay. How can I help you today, sir? Well, I have a... An 86 F-150. Right. 302 automatic. And I can't keep the fuel pressure up, you know, when you just turn the key on and cycle it. Right. And it should stay at 35, 38 pounds. Right. And it it drops right down. Okay. As soon as the pump stops, it drops down to almost zero. Right. And let me... But it'll, it'll start if you can keep that pressure up. Okay. It's running. It runs good. Okay. Let me and let me say that that the pump 
turning off is correct. If you if you sit there key on engine off, it'll prime for two to three seconds and then stop the pump, but it should hold pressure. So right. so the so the question here is where is it losing the residual? Where is it bleeding off? This is a port fuel right. injected engine in eighty six? Okay, individual injectors. There should be a yes. return line in 86. We didn't have returnless fuel systems back then. We're going to have to, right. one, of the, one of the things we would normally do is find a rubber section of hose and pinch it off. Does, right, I thought of that. Does it, does it mm-hmm. maintain pressure? If it maintains... I haven't it, done it, no. Okay, if it maintains pressure, then we've got to start to look up the line. The pressure regulator should be upwind of where we pinch it off, I would be considering a pressure regulator as a possible source. If it continues... Well, I changed that. Okay. Okay. Did you pinch off the line yet, though? No, I haven't. Yeah, that's the next step. Because I was going to say, if if it doesn't hold pressure, going back the other way, there there should be a check valve in the pump itself as well. And right. if the system drops pressure, then I would say that we've got a problem with the check valve in the pump, and you need a pump assembly or a pump. Well, I've put a new a new pump in it. Okay. A pump assembly? Uh, no, just the pump itself. Okay. Because, you know, looking at, and I would, if you go through, if you're going through this back and forth, you've got to stop to consider, do we have a pinhole leak somewhere, especially on something so old? in terms of the tubing inside the tank that the pump is attached to. Mm-hmm. And and consider that. Okay. If you take that pump assembly out and just look at it closely, is there a way to put liquid through it, block the one end, and look to see if you see seepage anywhere? Right. Okay. You're looking for a needle in a haystack, Ralph. Yes. Is, 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 what, it, is what it comes I've down to. Toxin. Say again? I've... I've... I run the truck. I've done it for four years, just uh, plowing my driveway. Right. And it 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 doesn't bother once it's fast. It runs runs right. great. But right. It's just right. Adding it. It's it's you know it's 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 twenty and that's thirty years old. And yes. Is it thirty years old? Yeah, it is thirty years old. So we've got to be mindful of rust. And you know you're going about it the right way. You've got the skill and the will, my friend. Um, you've just got to look mm-hmm. a little deeper. There's, There's got to be a pinhole somewhere letting the fuel bleed off. And the fact that it's not, you're not smelling fuel, then I would right. say that we've probably got something dumping back in the tank. Or, last possibility, we've got an injector that's just hanging open a little bit and it's allowing the fuel to leak out that way. Yeah, I was thinking that the other day, but it seems to run so good once it's running. Well, yeah, and I understand that, but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't take much for it to bleed off. The only way you're going to know that, though, is to pull the fuel rail out of the engine with the injectors mm-hmm. hooked up and prime the pump and see does anybody leak fuel out of the bottom of the injector or do an injector bleed-down test one at a time watching fuel pressure does anybody make a difference here? Yes or no? You know, sometimes right, right. In, in, back when there were more of these, we would hook up adapters and provide a separate fuel source and a separate fuel pump, depending upon the vehicle. We would get very creative and just do a, a on-vehicle pressure test using fuel pressure to see does one injector flow better than the others, and diagnose right. it from there. 
So there's only three possibilities, regulator, pump, lines, actually four, and injectors. It's It's got to be somewhere right. between the four of them. So, And, of course, keeping in mind, you've done a new pump and a new regulator. New doesn't mean good. New means never, ever worked. So always consider that. Don't just assume because you've changed it. Tell me the part where you tested it, and then I'll say, all right, let's move on to the next possibility. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie in the car, doctor. We'll be back right after this. back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's get some phone calls going. Let's go over and talk to Stu, Springfield, Illinois, line two. Stu, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you. Got an 05 Chevrolet Uplander. Okay. Purchased, used. Got about 100000 on it. Um, got a transmission service question. Don't know. It's, it's shifting fine. It operates fine and everything. Don't know if it's ever had any service done on it. And this Peter is says service it now. The independent mechanic says uh, leave it alone. Service it now would uh, lead to problems. Well, the question is, when do you want to find out that it's a problem now or when you've got your family loaded in at 3 o'clock in the morning going off on a fishing trip? Yeah, that's an easy one. Right. So it's if it were me, I would change it now. Okay. All right. And I, I want to know when there's going to be a problem. Sure. And And changing the fluid is going to tell me that. Um, it may, it may not. I mean, obviously, you're not afraid of buying something older and driving something older because you just bought this. And if it needed a trans and it was another two grand or twenty five hundred dollars, whatever it is, it's not going to tell you. Ah, I don't want the car. You've <laughs> you've already got it. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I I tend to look at cars as component level. All right. And you know, at a hundred thousand miles, I feel like I owe the car a trans. It seems like we've made we've made engines to go three hundred thousand miles. Transmissions not so much. I expect the trans between a hundred and one hundred and fifty. And if I get more than that out of it, I can count. You know, I'm lucky. I did my maintenance, my due diligence worked out. And yeah, I get it. Some transes go two hundred thousand miles. You know what? They still had to have fluid changed in the majority of cases. The, recommend the flush or. Pull the pan, the filter, and all that. This should be the this should be the smaller GM trans with the pan and no dipstick, and you're going to pull the 10 millimeter, the 11 millimeter out the side, and it's going to drip out through the side. I'm going to say I would start with a fluid change, just change fluid and filter, okay, and then come back in 10,000 miles, drop the pan, and change that fluid, and then do an exchange. Doing an exchange on that's a little involved. So if he can't get into it, I would just change the fluid again in 10,000 miles and monitor it that way. Uh, one one last thought. This particular trans, has, if it's the one I'm thinking of, and I'm pretty sure it is, has the propensity that the there's tubes inside the pan area. When they lower the pan down, there are some hydraulic tubes that are going to be up in the area where the valve body once was just above the filter. Just tell them to look very carefully at those tubes where they braze the bracket, the support bracket to it, they're known for pinholes as they get older. 
And if there's any signs of, of wear or damage or fatigue there, change those tubes as well. It will cause a shift problem and uh, be an issue for you somewhere down the line. Okay. All right, Thank sir. You Thank you. You're very welcome, Stu. You take good care. Have a good rest of the weekend. Let's get over and talk to Trevor uh, with an 08 Buick Enclave. Trevor, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a, a 2008 Buick Enclave. Uh, we purchased it used. It's got 128,000 miles on it. Okay. And last week uh, it developed uh, an issue where it will not shift into second gear. Okay. And your question is why, or your question is next step? Well, the, the first, uh, I guess the first question would be um, why. We, we, we were looking into some of the possible issues. The, the transmission that's in that car has some known issues. But uh, I guess more specifically, the, the question that we had was uh, could recommend a particular uh, scanner for a code reader that would uh, that would be able to home in on what might be happening there. Well, and, and keep in mind, a scanner is going to give you, you know, and, and a scanner, you've definitely got a scanner. If you're going to try and work on this yourself, you've got to have a scan tool. You've got to have the ability to get in there and, and see what's going on. But it's, it's going to give you a third of the picture before you start having to do some other testing. And, you know, that becomes an issue. I'll tell you what, Trevor, let me pull over and take the pause. And uh, I don't want to rush this. Just uh, sit tight. Let me do this uh, quick pull off to the side, and we'll be back right afterwards. I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. Don't go away. Running the car doctor here, winding things down this hour. Trevor, you're still there, sir. Yes, sir. 08 Buick Enclave, some transmission issues. Not shifting into second gear. So does it shift one to three? No, it uh, it basically it gets hung up right there uh, at first, and uh, it won't RPMs shift. Will pick up. Right, it won't piss. It won't shift past. It won't shift past first gear, and it just hangs and flares the engine. That's correct. Okay. First things first. Scan tool. I like launch, uh, you know, and this is all hands-on stuff. I'm using it in the shop. I like the launch, any of the launch stuff. The X431, which is their older platform. The Pad 2, which is their newer platform. They make some really neat stuff. The CRP229, uh, really good scan tools. Will they fit and do everything you want it to do? You've got to look at it because there's a price point at, at, at where things are in the tool and where things are not. Uh, we just had a, more than a couple of listeners have gotten back to us. They've gone out and they've purchased the X431, the older version, Windows XP platform. So you might find something used online. You might find it cheaper from one of the supply houses to make it more price point comfortable. Because obviously a full-fledged scan tool, you'll be five dollars $6,000, and I don't think you want to do that yet. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, but we like, no, we, we, right, we like the launch stuff. Um, you know, you can also find some scan tools out online, other manufacturers. Uh, the OTC Genesis, was it not the, yeah, the Genesis, I'm sorry, the Genesis and the Genesis Evo 
was a good scan tool for its day. And this is older technology. You might find some of those because a lot of repair shops now are upgrading. They're they're realizing they've got to get into this part of the century and use use uh, computer PC based diagnostics because that's the future. That's where it's going. Um, as far as what could be wrong with this, this could be anything from a problem with the trans control module inside the trans itself to a problem with the control solenoid for first or second gear. Uh, there is one bulletin if you want to know about where components are. Do you have a pencil handy? Yes, sir. Get a, get a take a look at uh, GM bulletin 07-07-30-025, and it's just general information on how that transmission transaxle is constructed. Uh, that's the 4T40E or the 4T45, whichever one you've got. And I think you're the 40. Um, that'll talk about solenoid location and component location and some of the things that can go wrong. But um, first things first, get a scan tool. I think you're probably going to find yourself uh, in terms of codes with a 752. Uh, it sounds like it from the fact that it doesn't uh, shift into second or maybe an 872. And that bulletin will help you tell you where you got to go next after that. Trevor, the clock's going to take me. I appreciate the call. I'm running any of the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.